Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Welcome to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. My name is Joel Silverberg. I appreciate you taking the time to check out the KIB podcast presented by Field Pass Hockey, fieldpasshockey.com, and of course the Field Pass Hockey mobile app, which is available on the App Store and on Google Play. Fieldpasshockey.com has all great coverage for you across minor league hockey, whether it's the SPHL, the ECHL, the AHL. They've got league-designated podcasts, team-designated podcasts, like right here on the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast, where you can check out information on your favorite team or the league that your favorite team plays in. They've got live game broadcasts, photo galleries, blogs, and so much more. The content is there for you. Get your minor league hockey fix at fieldpasshockey.com and download the Field Pass Hockey mobile app for free on the App Store or on Google Play. The Knoxville Ice Bears got the sweep that they needed against Birmingham over the weekend, completing the home-and-home with a pair of wins, winning on Friday at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum and then heading down to the Pelham Civic Complex to beat Birmingham on Saturday night. And it was not easy. It was not a clean weekend, and it really never is clean against Birmingham. It has been back and forth between those two teams. Games have gotten chippy. Games have gotten messy. And ultimately, one thing that was fairly common was Knoxville came out on top. So the Ice Bears finished the season 7-1 and against Birmingham this year. And the Ice Bears now in first place in the SPHL standing. Sole possession of the top spot in the Southern Professional Hockey League standings. Now still four hockey games left to be played for the top three teams in the SPHL, and so we are not done here by any means in terms of figuring out seed lines, and theoretically it is actually possible that Knoxville could fall to the number four spot. If Fayetteville were to win out its final four games, it would have more wins than the Ice Bears with the same number of points. We'll get more into the standings equation later up in this segment, but to recap what happened over the weekend for the Ice Bears, really impressive start for Knoxville. They we're able to jump out to a 2-0 lead early in the second period on Friday night. Jordan Martin answered back quickly for Birmingham as Birmingham has kind of had a, a knack for doing that against Knoxville this year where they respond to Knoxville goals quickly with one of their own. Rasmus Waxen-Engbach, who extended his point streak to nine games, it ended there as he did not record a point on Saturday, but he made it a 3-1 game. Colton Fletcher got a really big rebound goal. For Birmingham, uh, right at the end of the second period, Stepan Timofeyev scored his second goal of the night. His goal streak is still going, by the way. He's been phenomenal for Knoxville throughout the month of March as he made it 4-2. to Scott Donahue got a late goal on the power play for Birmingham. And Jeff Carr was furious when I spoke to him in the pregame interview on Saturday talking about how he thought his penalty kill was lazy, thought the effort wasn't there the way that it should be, and the emphasis on the significance of the penalty kill, especially at this point in the season. And I think after you saw what Knoxville did during the first several weeks of the regular season, how they went through their first nearly 40 power play opportunities for opponents without giving up a power play goal, and you've seen that power play percentage drop a little bit. They're still in second in the league in penalty kill percentage, 
but it, it has not been where Jeff Carr has wanted it. He has really been a perfectionist when it's come to special teams. The power play has been clicking a lot throughout the last couple of weeks, but that penalty kill is it's still been good. And Knoxville has had some big penalty kills late in games in the last few weeks, but it's still not to the efficiency of what Carr would prefer it to be at. So Knoxville was able to come away with a 4-3 to win. They were able to hold off Birmingham when they pulled the goalie for the extra attacker late. And Christian Stead picked up the win in net for Knoxville. And, and not the night that he wanted, only had 14 saves on 17 shots. So Knoxville doing a really good job at limiting Birmingham's chances, but Typically, if Knoxville is limiting an opponent to 17 shots on goal, there's usually not that much suspense late in the third period. And so then moving to Saturday, again, kind of a similar situation. Knoxville got off to a fast start. They scored within the first three minutes, and then Birmingham came back and scored twice in 36 seconds. And they got a huge lift with Russell Jordan coming back. He was gone to the ECHL for about three and a half months to the Florida Everblades in the coast. He comes back just picks his target from the left circle and beats the glove of Jimmy Parita. And and that's kind of the weapon that you miss by not having Jordan around for three months. Troy McTavish, who's been one of the recent additions uh, for Birmingham, he scores shortly after that after Knoxville failed to clear. Dino Balsamo tied the game for Knoxville, but then C.J. Hayes answered right back. That's another guy came back earlier this week for Birmingham and and so having those two guys back they made their impact felt right away so it was three to two at the end of the first period Jared Nash got a redirect in the second to tie the game going into the third and then Jake Papalardo scored on a screen Parita to give Birmingham a four to three advantage Knoxville was able to draw a penalty step on Timo Feyev as as he's done so much has scored timely goals on the power play that spot from the left circle that he loves to set up so much and he kind of did it himself you know he carried the puck into the zone, went across the blue line, exchanged with Taylor Stefician, found a spot in the left circle and let it rip. And so that tied the game. And then about th- four minutes later, Brady Florent off a rebound. You, you had a shot from the left circle, was kicked out by Hayden Stewart, and Florent was able to find it and put it back on the rebound attempt. That ended up being the game-winning goal. Stepan Timofey have scored an empty netter to ice the game. And it's just a game with, a lot of penalty minutes and a lot of power play opportunities for Knoxville. But when the Ice Bears needed a penalty kill in the third period, they got it and went four for four in the night on Saturday. And so those results combined with Huntsville getting swept by Roanoke with two regulation losses allowed Knoxville to leapfrog Huntsville. And they have possession of first place in the SPHL standings with two weekends to go. So Knoxville Heads to Roanoke this weekend, so after the Rail Yard Dogs just swept Huntsville at home, the Rail Yard Dogs will now host Knoxville, where the Ice Bears have not won this year. Realize it's just one game back in February. It came in the middle of Knoxville's four-game losing streak, which was the probably the toughest streak that Knoxville's had all this season, but you still don't take Roanoke lightly. Really, with the exception of the last time these two teams played, when Knoxville defeated Roanoke 6-1, to Roanoke has made it very difficult on Knoxville, whether it's been in Virginia, whether it's been in Tennessee, and Carr has kind of acknowledged Roanoke's let us off the hook a bunch of times. It's the same way that he feels about Peoria, where Knoxville let Peoria off the hook a bunch of times before the Ice Bears finally got Peoria back earlier this month, but Roanoke has been really, really gritty, and I think when you look at the way that they played against Huntsville, limiting the havoc to just three goals in two games— goes to show that Roanoke is starting to find its groove again. And they lost nine in a row, all in regulation through the first several weeks of March. 
they got back on track by playing Macon. They had two games against the Mayhem the previous weekend, won both of them, uh, scoring six goals in each game. But Roanoke followed that up and showed that that wasn't just a result of playing Macon. Roanoke apparently took that weekend and brought some confidence with it uh, because then they swept Huntsville uh, in the Berglund Center. And, you know, that is not easy to do to get two wins over Huntsville in a single weekend. And so now the situation sets up for Knoxville where, yes, it is going to the eight seed. And, and if Knoxville goes and sweeps Roanoke, then it's a strong possibility that the Ice Bears will see Roanoke again in a couple of weeks because if the season ended today, the Ice Bears would face Roanoke in the first round of the President's Cup playoffs. And Roanoke is two points back of Evansville, but the Thunderbolts have two games in hand over the Rail Yard Dogs. So for Evansville, there are several more opportunities for the Thunderbolts to stay ahead and hold on to that number seven seed. And Evansville is seven points back of Pensacola. It's unlikely that Evansville will be able to move up to that number six seed. Pensacola looks like it's likely locked in into that six spot, uh, seven points back of Quad City. It, you know, Pensacola has three games in hand, but still, it's just going to be a steep climb. There's just not a lot of time left in the regular season. It could happen, but right now you're starting to see some of these seedings take form. It, it's really the top half of the league is where all the question marks are. And let's see what happens. If Evansville bottoms out here and Roanoke is able to take advantage and continue playing well, then it's going to have an opportunity to potentially improve its seating. Now, if Roanoke sweeps Knoxville, then that would also increase the chance that the two teams would meet in a couple of weeks because if Roanoke moves up to the seven spot and Knoxville drops to the two, well, then they would face each other in the first round anywhere. So kind of just be on the lookout for some movement in the standings as you've kind of got tight races between eight and seven. It's not a done deal between six and five. Um, Fayetteville had an opportunity to close the gap against Peoria. Peoria was able to come away with two wins against Quad City, including an overtime win on Saturday. Fayetteville took a loss to Pensacola, overall got the series against the Ice Flyers. Uh, Pensacola had won six in a row going into that three-game series. Fayetteville took two of three. And so now Fayetteville is five points back of Peoria and eight points back of Knoxville for first place. But a, a lot to happen in the upcoming two weekends. So Knoxville heads to Roanoke. Huntsville takes on Fayetteville for the first time this year. And this is a really compelling series because we haven't seen this matchup yet this season. Fayetteville playing really good hockey. They've got points in eight of their last 10. How does Huntsville respond? Now they have to come back home. Fayetteville has been playing really well for the last six weeks and could potentially spoil a, a couple of seasons here if, if they can find a way to win out or potentially play spoiler as far as the seeding is concerned. But, you know, a, a sweep for Knoxville and a sweep for Fayetteville means that Knoxville clinches the William B. Coffee Trophy in the regular season title. Now, you know, to, to bank on that is is not a done deal. And for Knoxville, it's trying to make sure you can go on the road and take care of business. You got two really good shots from Birmingham. Roanoke is playing much better hockey right now than the Bulls are, and they've won four straight. Fayetteville just took two of three from a good Pensacola team. They're 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. Huntsville's coming off back-to-back -back losses for the first time in a while. And so let's see how the Havoc respond. They get to return home and have a really good game against a team in Fayetteville that I think right now has a fantastic goalie tandem with Brett Moran being a really good mid-season acquisition and Jason Pulaski coming back from the ECHL. So Huntsville is going to have to figure out some offense after only scoring three goals against Roanoke over the past two days. And Fayetteville also, the way they structure their offense, I think they do a good job at getting movement. They have good rotation in the zone and they can set up scoring chances in the slot 
really, really well. So if Huntsville is not able to take that away, then watch out for the marksman this upcoming weekend. But, you know, Huntsville still getting the benefit of playing at home where they've been very, very good at the Von Braun Center. They've obviously been good all season long, but Huntsville 24 and two at home this season. Uh, Peoria has the best win percentage at home this season, 22, two and one at the Peoria Civic Center, Knoxville with just one home game remaining uh, at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. That'll be April 9th against the Evansville Thunderbolts. So Knoxville, after this upcoming weekend, will then take on Evansville in a home-and-home series. Huntsville will head to Birmingham and take on the Bulls for two games, and I think the Bulls are still going to be motivated despite being eliminated from playoff contention. They've gotten a couple of wins over Huntsville this year. I think they would love nothing more than to potentially ruin Huntsville's chance to grab the William B. Coffee Trophy. And so it's a uh, it's going to be an exciting finish. The regular season number one seed is not always this exciting down the stretch, but you still have three teams that can realistically win it. Do not count out Peoria. And after the way they handled Quad City this past weekend in two games, they won 9-4 to four on Sunday after winning in overtime on Saturday night. I don't know what the optimism is for Quad City to potentially take wins away from Peoria. And then Peoria's other two games are against... Vermilion County. The Bobcats just got their fifth win of the season uh, against Macon on Saturday night, which snapped a 12-game regulation losing streak. But Peoria is only three points back of Knoxville. And so Peoria, I think, is going to be expected to win each of their last four games. Knoxville and Huntsville, technically, obviously, based on standing, will be expected to do the same. But, you know, it really feels like this is setting up well for Peoria that if Huntsville and Knoxville do not take care of business over the next two weekends, that Peoria... Certainly, we'll have a chance to slide into a top two spot, but you know, potentially take that number one seed as well if if Knoxville and Huntsville are not careful. Let's see how Quad City bounces back uh, from that, you know, just one sided loss on Sunday, and see if they can take a win away from Peoria. Quad City with more wins against the Rivermen than any other team in the SPHL this season with five. They have played a lot though. Peoria has definitely gotten the edge in that series so far. So the Knoxville Ice Bears get the sweep over Birmingham, and for now, they have the number one seed in the President's Cup playoffs with four games remaining, a two-point lead over Huntsville, a three-point lead over Peoria, an eight-point lead over Fayetteville. Knoxville will open the postseason Wednesday night, April 13th at 7.30 at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. That will be the playoff opener. If Knoxville splits, regardless of the opponent, Game 3 will be Easter Sunday at 5 o'clock at the Coliseum. So the Ice Bears will be playing Wednesday, Sunday at home, Sunday if necessary, for that first-round playoff series. Up next, we've got the mailbag. I open things up to fans, and we're going to get some of your questions as well. The Knoxville Ice Bears podcast presented by Field Pass Hockey. The mailbag coming up next. In the slot, looking, shot, scores! Whoa, yes, an overtime game winner gives Knoxville a 3-2 win on the road. This presentation of Knoxville Ice Bears Hockey can also be heard while you're on the go via the Field Pass Hockey app. Read articles on your favorite team, view photo galleries, listen to live games and podcasts from across the AHL, ECHL, and SPHL by downloading the app, now available in the Google Play and Apple App Stores. I appreciate you taking the time to check out the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast presented by Field Pass Hockey. They've got you covered from the SPHL to the ECHL to the AHL with podcasts, live game broadcasts, blogs, photo galleries, and so much more. FieldPassHockey.com is your website for minor league hockey coverage. You can also download their mobile app for free on the App Store or on Google Play. So time to get to your questions and going to try to get to as many of these 
as I can. Josh writes in and asks, which arena is the best and which is the best to call a game in, the view, the sound, and overall the best? And on a lighter side, any good stories from the rides? Who pulls the best pranks, has the strangest habit or ritual Saturday? I saw most everybody hit up the store when the bus stopped. Is there anything that the guys just have to get every time? Uh, so, Josh, appreciate the questions. And, yeah, we, we saw some of the fans after the ride at Birmingham. We stopped at a gas station on the way home uh, so some of the guys could get some extra food for the bus ride back to Knoxville. And I, I haven't noticed anything really particular or consistent. I, I don't really pay attention to what the guys get all that much. I know, you know, some of the guys have sweet tooth. Some of them are, are getting, you know, maybe chips and stuff like that. So it, it's nothing really, uh, it, it's nothing really consistent. I know that Andrew Ballon and Anthony McVeigh do have a knack for salt and vinegar flavored chips. Uh, so that was pretty funny. We were at another bus stop once where we uh, stopped at a gas station and uh, Belly is going through the entire gas station and saying, man, every type of chip, they're out of salt and vinegar chips. And he was so bummed out and disappointed by it. It's true. Like the shelves, I guess, were kind of empty that night and uh, there were no salt and vinegar chips available. And so now it's kind of a joke whenever we see those. And there were plenty when we stopped at Birmingham on Saturday night that, uh, you know, I always think of that moment. And so uh, the, the guys, usually there's always going to be somebody taking a blue can of Pringles or a blue black bag of chips uh, somewhere out of the store. So that was uh, pretty funny. I, I know that it's kind of a tradition when Carr gets off the bus, he usually grabs Jasmine Honey, our athletic trainer, a Snickers bar. Um, so it's uh, I guess that's kind of a shtick between the two of them. Uh, and uh, one story that I thought was funny was I'm um, – there's one night where we're getting ready to leave Fayetteville and I'm packing up all my gear and trying to rush down so the bus doesn't leave me behind. And I get into the uh, break room where the food was set for the away team because typically the host team provides a meal for the road team before they get back on the bus and head out or before they head back to the hotel if it's a multi-game weekend. And there wasn't really a whole lot of pasta left over. Like I was kind of scrapping together, barely had like a small plate full of it. And what I didn't realize was that there was like an extra heater with like another container in there. And so I just walked out. We stopped anyway, so it didn't matter. But the only hot food that this gas station had was like the gas station roller hot dogs that are on like the little roller girl there. So I grabbed two of those and a bag of combos and Stetter comes up to me and says, wow, Joel, this whole gas station with all these options and you come up with two hot dogs and a bag of combos. So I don't know. Stetter likes to make fun of what I eat, uh, but my options were kind of limited there. Um, as far as dinner was concerned. So I fired back at him. It's like, well, you guys ate all the pasta. So I uh, didn't really have much of a choice there. As far as pranks, haven't really seen a whole lot of pranks. I know the guys like to mess with each other a lot. Um, when we were, I guess it was actually the last time before this weekend that we played at Birmingham at the beginning of March, we're getting ready to head back to Knoxville. And suddenly Jason Price comes running down the hallway on the bus and is yelling, hey, 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 stop the bus, stop the bus. Hey, rookies, are we forgetting something? And, you know, the guys are, like, starting to fall asleep. Rookies are freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, what did we forget? And it is a tradition that when the road team bus leaves the home facility after a win, that the bus driver gives them two honks. And so Price turns around and says, hey, rookies, did we remember to pack the two points? And at that point, the bus driver then honked the horn twice, and everybody cheered, but it kind of just trying to jumpstart the rookies a little bit in Starlum. So that was pretty funny. So usually I would have to say Price probably has the best sense of humor as he's been uh, he's been around for a while, especially in Knoxville, so he knows which pranks work and which ones don't. But 
it really is a fun group of guys. Typically, the way that our bus is structured is um, it's actually two separate rooms. The sleeper bunks are in the back and the lounge area is up in the front. So we've got the captain's chair, a desk, and two couches with the TV up front. And that's where myself, Carr, uh, Jasmine, and Ryan Perron, our equipment manager, are usually seated. And so that that door stays closed. And so we usually don't talk to the players a whole lot. So they usually kind of lay low in the back. Some of them play cards if it's after a win. Um, they can watch TV back there. But uh, most of the time, the guys lay, lay low. But if it's after a big win, sometimes you will hear a little bit of extra chatter and the guys having fun and laughing. And, and sometimes they don't go to sleep on the way back after a road win. They just stay up because of the energy and... You know, you, oftentimes they'll have the next day off when we arrive back in Knoxville. It kind of depends on the schedule, but those are some of the lighter moments that I guess I've enjoyed on the bus. Um, we, we do have a lot of fun. The staff is great. Uh, so Jeff, Ryan, Jasmine, and I have always had a lot of fun. Um, and it, it really is just a hangout. We, we keep it pretty relaxed. Usually the NHL network is on the TV, um, but if something else is going on, we'll watch football or basketball. We It really is just a whole group of sports fans and kind of taking the time and and oftentimes after when we it's or even after a loss regardless Jeff is usually clipping the game immediately um and I think that goes to show just the amount of investment that there's been from Knoxville's head coach is you know we we're done with a game we get back on the bus and immediately Jeff has it downloaded and he is going through and clipping it and doing his film study and sometimes you know regardless of how late it is just may not go to sleep on the bus ride home until maybe two or three in the morning because he's going to stay up for the next two or three hours and clip that game, even though we just got done playing and just got back on the bus. So it's a, uh, it is a 24 seven investment and uh, the work never stops when it comes to the ice bears right now. And it's been a lot of fun, but really appreciate being a part of the staff. And it is a, a fun group of guys, a fun staff to be a part of and uh, very thankful to do that. So there, there are some good stories, I uh, can't tell all of them, but yeah, that price moment was probably one of the better ones. Um, Mike writes in, who else is he expecting? Uh, he being Jeff Carr based on the ECHL season playoffs. Does he expect any of our guys to return in time for the playoffs? And what's the plan against re-energized Roanoke fighting for that seventh spot? Uh, take advantage of our opportunities so not to get anyone badly hurt or to try to beat out Roanoke this weekend. Now, obviously the plan for this weekend is to try to continue to basically hold serve with Huntsville only being two points behind. And the reason that that's significant is both teams have 39 wins right now. So if Knoxville and Huntsville match each other for wins, um, then obviously the Ice Bears would have that edge going in. But before Saturday night, the two teams were tied. And that meant that Huntsville actually had the number one seed because Huntsville had 39 wins. Knoxville only had 38. Knoxville's additional two points comes with having more overtime and shootout losses than Huntsville does this year. And the tiebreaker goes to the team with more wins, which is what I brought up in the first segment. If Fayetteville were to win out, if Knoxville were to lose out, Fayetteville would finish with 40 wins on the season. Knoxville would finish with 39. So even though they'd be tied with 82 points, Fayetteville would actually supplant Knoxville as far as seeding with a head to head tiebreaker. So just something to be mindful of is that it's it for Knoxville and Huntsville all of the head-to-head tiebreaker scenarios go in favor of the Havoc. And so really the only way for Knoxville to claim that number one seed over Huntsville is to have more points because, you know, being tied in wins is not going to help because Huntsville has more head-to-head wins. They have more goals scored against Knoxville. All of the head-to-head tiebreakers between the Ice Bears and the Havoc 
go in favor of Huntsville. So Knoxville is going to need to hold on to that two-point lead over the last four games. Then obviously Peoria. Knoxville's um, got the advantage in wins, which certainly helps because Peoria has seven overtime and shootout losses combined. But if it comes down to you know those head-to-head results, Peoria has won three out of four against Knoxville. But since that first tiebreaker is overall wins, that at least benefits the Ice Bears because they have more overall wins right now than Peoria does. So uh, the, the plan, anyway, I, I think is going to continue to be the same approach. And I think Knoxville... You know, maybe caught on to something against Roanoke the last time these two teams played. You know, they chased Austin Rodebush, which is not easy to do. But the last time they went to Roanoke, Rodebush made 41 saves and Knoxville lost the game 5-1. to one. Now, I think the game was a little bit closer than that score would have indicated. But Knoxville's going to have to be better on the penalty kill. They were not good on the PK the last time they went to Virginia. And they're going to need to get off to a faster start than they, than they did last time. So... I think as far as the overall strategy, it's going to be sticking with what's been working. Knoxville's been really solid offensively. I think that decor, as young as it is, has come together really, really well. And that was kind of an issue from January through the month of February where Knoxville is having to outscore opponents. And there's still some games where that's been the case, but I think the additions of Nick Leitner, Tanner Salisbury, Kale Liss, those guys have done some really good things for Knoxville in the last few weeks. And then, of course, you have some staples back there with Jason Price and Kyler Matthews. I, I think you have to like what has been put together with that decor. So uh, things are going to continue to play on and move forward, but it, it is going to be about sticking with what's been working as far as uh, what Knoxville has done defensively. And as far as the second question from Mike about the ECHL loans, um, and then also, Charlie Graneth having a veteran presence there on the back end as well. Uh, so right now, as far as players that have played a game for Knoxville this season that are on loan to the coast, it's all three defensemen. It's Andrew McLean, Dean Moore, and Alex Palmerville. I have not heard an update on any of those guys coming back. The situation with Dean specifically is because of the SPHL veteran rule, Dean is not able to return unless Jason Price or Taylor Stefician are cut from the team. Uh, so the SPHL's veteran rule, it's 900 total games between three veterans. So with Jason Price having over 600 games played, and then you've got Taylor Stefician, who's had a lengthy career as well, uh, even though he hasn't played the last couple of years, um, Knoxville is not in a situation where it can add a third veteran. And the veteran rule kicks in with the number of games that a player has played at the beginning of the year. So Stefan Brucato hit the 200 game mark this season. It's viewed on where he was at the beginning of the season. I believe it's 225 games played uh, for a player to be considered veteran status. And so uh, it it has to be reached before the season begins. So anybody that passes that mark during the season is not counted as a veteran until the following year. Uh, but so that's the situation with Dean Moore. I have not been given an update on the status of Andrew McLean or Alex Palmerville uh, for, for McLean. Uh, I, from people that are close to him who have kind of been following him in Orlando, it, it's been uh, kind of up and down for him. He's been banged up a little bit, but he has also been switching between forward and defenseman. So he's being utilized as kind of a two-way player. And so I would not expect uh, Drew to be back. But for Alex Pomerville, I have not been given an update. I know Dean was released from Iowa recently, uh, but there has not been an update on whether he is going to return. And as of right now, he can't unless... Knoxville opts to make a roster move. 
and then a question from Brett. What's the goalie strategy going into the playoffs? Play the hot goalie or sort of alternate so we can keep them both fresh? I think right now uh, the plan is to kind of go on the alternate plan for this last regular, these last two regular season games. Obviously, neither Jimmy or Christian, I think, had the night that they wanted to. And Birmingham made it tough, tough on them. And Birmingham does a good job at, you know, finding ways to create goals. It hasn't been there consistently, but that has shown up against Knoxville. Colton Fletcher, Scott Donahue, Russell Jordan. Those are three players that are, they're really good shot creators. And that has shown against Knoxville. Um, the, the Bulls do a really good job at getting traffic in front of the net. They made like life a little bit difficult on Stead and Perita this past week. And then Russell Jordan coming back along with CJ Hayes, those guys make plays. And so I, I think, uh, you know, so I, I wouldn't be concerned about the way those guys are playing because I think if you look at the two weekends prior, you feel pretty good about what those guys did. Um, going into Roanoke this week, yeah, they're going to have to be really good because Mac Jansen, Jeff Jones, CJ Stubbs, uh, Roanoke's got some talent. They've got some guys that can put points on the scoreboard. And uh, so I think the plan would be, you know, evaluate it throughout the course of practice, see which one's playing better. That guy's probably going to get the start on Friday against Roanoke if. You know, if it's Jimmy or Christian, whichever one, if they play really well, they're probably going to start again on Saturday, and then the process is going to cycle itself out. I don't think the plan is to necessarily switch goalies if somebody is playing well, uh, and, and so I would imagine it would probably be leaning more towards riding the hot hand when it comes to which goalie is going to play during the postseason. And also, uh, to, to go back to Mike's original question about players from the ECHL, um, there's been some thought, I, I know some chatter about some of the players that were put on the protected list, Brett Beauvais, Nick Master, uh, Alex Carlson, guys like that. Um, the, I, I have not been given an update on anybody that has not played for Knoxville yet this season. Obviously, Nick Master at one point was called up to the AHL. There's been several players that have been given ECHL opportunities. Colton Heffley, of course, got called up last season. But uh, as of right now, there has not been an update on any of those players returning to Knoxville. And finally, um, Michael asked, does the smaller than regulation ice have any impact in the gameplay? Unless they've updated, all I can find is that it's 185 feet instead of the regulation 200. Uh, and that is correct, Michael. It's a uh, it's 185 feet at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. The biggest things that I've noticed um, and the comments that I've gotten from players and opposing coaches is that it really benefits the penalty kill to have smaller ice because it makes the zone smaller. And the comment that I've heard from players is when you're trying to slip behind the defense for the odd man rush or trying to get open for a back cut or you're on a breakaway, that crease approaches you a little bit faster than you're expecting. So you've got to be a little bit more prepared to get that shot off in a hurry, which is why I think Knoxville's had a decent amount of success on breakaway chances when it's played on the road because it, it feels like you've just got more time out there because you're so used to having to think quickly and get shots off fast. Knoxville, I think, has been a pretty solid breakaway team this year, especially when it's playing away from Knoxville. I failed to get to Josh's original question, which was, uh, which arena is the best? Which is the best to call a game in? View, sound, overall best? So I, I think the Ford Center is probably the nicest facility. Uh, that's where Evansville plays uh, because they share that facility with the University of Evansville, which is a Division I uh you know, university uh, it, and Evansville, actually, you know, you don't think much of them now because they're not really that well known, but they were actually a really big basketball program back in the fifties. And so, uh, you know, they share that facility. It's, and you know, even smaller schools, division one's division one. They, it's not all comparable across the board, but you'll see that the facilities are 
very, very well kept. And so the locker rooms are nice. The press box is um, a full press row. So there are multiple press boxes. So I actually have my own room when I go to Evansville. I'm not sharing a bench or a table with somebody. I'm, I'm not seated next to the off-ice officials or the DJs. And obviously you have to make different amends, but it is an actual booth. Like in the Knoxville Civic Coliseum, we have that platform that's inserted in there, which is great. Really thankful for that. Uh, but the booth is an actually designed uh, media row. So there's a press row where the off-ice officials are at. Tommy Pecorero, the voice of the Thunderbolts, is in the booth next to me. I'm in my own booth. The camera operator's in the booth to my right. Um, there's, you know, food up there. It's like a VIP experience. You know, the, it's almost like watching a game from a suite. And then there's a private bathroom up there as well. So the, the setup in Evansville is really nice. And it's also a great experience because it, it's a big enough arena where you'd think, yeah, this is where you'd probably be sitting if you're calling an AHL game or something like that. So I think for any young broadcaster that's trying to move up, uh, from the SPHL, calling games at the Ford Center is a really good learning experience because, you know, in Knoxville and Birmingham, you kind of have a lower vantage point, and that's not normal in the NHL. So, um, you know, you kind of get spoiled by being able to be very close to the action and kind of have a nice level. But in Evansville, you know, you're pretty high up, and it's a similar situation in Roanoke as well where you're much higher up, and that's kind of the norm. I've seen, you know, view from the booth photos from NHL rinks and, you know, it's kind of hard to see numbers up there. And that's why at, at major networks and stuff like that, that's why they use spotters. And uh, it can be tough to call a game from there. As far as sound, the overall acoustics, um, you know, I think Huntsville just does a great job with their production. Um, they do the same thing. They keep it simple. The uh, setup, I think, is really cool with the way that arena is formed. And of course, they, you know, they average the highest attendance in the league. So as far as sound, um, the atmosphere is really cool. Um, and, and I like their rank quad cities facility is really cool with the tax layer center. The, the setup's not great for the broadcast just because they put you in the concourse, like next to the suites instead of actually putting you in one. Um, and for the road broadcaster, you're seated right behind a group of fans that are known for being season ticket holders and bringing cowbells. So your, your crowd mic kind of gets blown up pretty frequently, uh, during the course of a game. Uh, so, but I think there are some cool arenas. Um, I, I think the view is probably the best in uh, in places like Knoxville, Quad City, Birmingham, where you have a lower vantage point. But I think it's the better learning experience to be able to do it in a place like Evansville or Roanoke. Um, and I, I actually have not been to Peoria yet. So I, I missed the road trip to Peoria this year. So that's the only rink that I've not called a game in. Um, but I, I think every rink, you know, just about has something that's very unique and special about it that makes it cool, especially the teams that have been here a little bit longer because, you know, the the fan base has kind of established its own identity and the things that they do that make their arena special. So uh, I know that was kind of a wordy answer, but I hope that answers your question, Josh, and appreciate everybody for sending in all their questions. And hopefully we've got more to celebrate as we get closer and closer to the start of the playoffs. Of course, Knoxville trying to secure the William B. Coffee Trophy as the regular season champion. And uh, granted, I think if you had to choose one or the other, most fans would choose the president's cup as winning the uh, league playoffs. But you, you know, either way you're raising a banner and I think Knoxville still going to try to secure the number one seed. Knoxville would be trying to win a record fifth William B coffee trophy and a record fifth president's cup uh, as Knoxville is tied for the most William B. Coffee trophies with four with Peoria. Now, Peoria does not have a President's Cup yet, though uh, this could be the year, depending on how they play 
in the month of April, but it would be the first William B. Coffee Trophy for Knoxville since 2009. Um, so the Ice Bears have actually won a President's Cup more recently than winning a regular season title. And then, of course, Knoxville is tied with Pensacola for the most President's Cup titles. Pensacola, the, the defending champs, Knoxville most recently in 2015. So I, I hope everybody enjoyed the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Thank you again for sending your questions. Um, and, and hopefully I was able to answer everything clearly and, and give you the answers you all were looking for. Again, Roanoke this Friday and Saturday on the road in Virginia. You can catch the game at Union Place Bar and Grill for the road game watch parties. Uh, Puck Drop is set for 7 o'clock both nights. And we'll have the call for you on Hockey TV and MixLR.com slash Knoxville Ice Bears. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast presented by Field Pass Hockey.